It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Thank you, Chuck. Welcome, everybody. Mike Vaccaro here in the front row with you. Alongside, behind the scenes, it's J.R. Quitman, our creator, producer, and director. Well, before we get to episode number 29, I want to thank you for watching, for listening to previous episodes a lot of you watching our Muggsy Bogues episode. We appreciate you doing so. Continue to do so and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Well, coming up here, episode number 29, we talk football, NFL football with Mike Minter. Mike Minter, who had a great career at Nebraska collegiately, went on to play 10 seasons for the Carolina Panthers as well. Currently the head coach at Campbell University in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. We talk about his career, his ups, his downs, and again, what he's trying to build with the Fighting Camels right now at Campbell University. Episode number 29, our guest is Mike Minter. Um, Mike, first of all, thanks for spending some time with us here today talking about uh, your journey to where you're at now, which is head coach at Campbell University. And I guess is it a little bit of downtime for you right now? It is. Um, you know, we, we just got done with recruiting in May. And so June, we'll start up the, the summer camp circuit. Um, where we'll start working some camps. But me as a head coach, um, may I really use um, that time to start evaluating our opponents, uh, where, you know, where, what we need to be working on from a staff standpoint. Um, and, you know, because the kids go home, they're going to be home most of May. They get back today, actually. Uh, and um, so we get our phase three um, of the summer workout. So it's, it's, it's kind of like a, all over the, you know, research, um, getting the new guys and, and, and the old guys coming back in the summer. So you got to get there because you got some transfers that's coming in. And so you got to try to get them acclimated to what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, and then at the same time, uh, get some camps in. So it's it's kind of like all and, – and then conferences that I speak at. So it, it's a lot of the stuff that people don't know about the head coaches do. Yeah, it's, it goes a lot beyond just coaching as a head coach in, in 2020 for sure, 2022 here. Uh, let's talk about your background. I want to get into that here. And uh, you were born in Cleveland, but you moved to Oklahoma. How soon after you were born did you did you make that move? And uh, what was that transition like for you? Yeah, well, I was eight months old. Okay. So I think the transition was pretty good, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, my mom is from Oklahoma. So, you know, that was home for her. My dad passed away when I was eight months old, which is why we moved back home um, to to Oklahoma. So, um, you know, that's all I know. It, you know, I don't know, I don't know anything else. I, I just know Oklahoma and and um, you know, in Lawton, and you know, being a military town, kind of very similar to Fayetteville. Um, so I, I know exactly what Fayetteville was like. So when I first went to Fayetteville and I was doing a camp. Um, on base, I was like, man, this looks like home, <laughs> right? So it, everything, the layout, everything is the exact same way. Well, again, without that father presence and growing up and playing sports, who was that, that person that you leaned on? Who helped you through that time? Yeah. So I had some uncles that was very instrumental in, in sports. Um, they love sports. They always watched it, and I was right there with them. Um, watching it and loving it. I remember, you know, when Ali fought um, Leon Spinks 
and, and beating, you know, that was like 78, 79. So I'm four or five years old and remember every part of it, you know? Um, and, you know, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. So I remember the early battles, I should say the late battles with, with the Pittsburgh Steelers in, in the late seventies and, and, um, those games. And so I was always enamored about sports and, and so my uncles helped me, you know, do that. And, and, um, and then I was blessed with great coaches. I had a great coach in, in little league. Um, he was, he coached me from the third grade to the sixth grade. And, you know, this is when we had junior high back in that time. You remember that time, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so then in, in junior high, a great coach, a legendary coach at that level. And then um, in high school, I had another legendary coach um, in high school. And then, of course, when I get to Nebraska, I got Tom Osborne. And then when I get to the league, I had two of them. I had Dom Capers um, and then I had John Fox. Great coaches. And so I've never – not had that in my life. And so I, I think that was a big piece of um, what helped shape me to who I am today. Obviously football is where you ended up, but were you playing other sports growing up as well? Yeah, I was, I was basketball, right? So football and basketball, I went out for baseball and I was out there for about a day and, and um, I saw a kid get hit with the ball and I was like, no, <laughs> uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not with that. They said, man, you play football. I said, I know that hit coming. I don't know that ball going to hit me though. And that, that right there is the trigger point for me. And so I didn't, I didn't like it um, because of that. And then I went out for track and um, you know, cause I was fast and, so they wanted me to run track and, and all they did was run all day. I said, well, I'm not interested in that either. <laughs> so I, I quit track. I quit baseball and um, just took, stuck with um, football and basketball my whole time. Well, you did some running in football, though. Free safety, <laughs> obviously, but you were running back as well in high school, almost 1,600 yards yeah. in 1991. Were you, was your mind on offense moving forward? No, You know what? It, it wasn't. I'm a I'm a practical man, and um, I look at things for what it is. And I said, well, running back is very difficult to get to the National Football League because it's just one of them. I said, if I go to DB, well, I got four chances to get on the field. So I'm gonna go to defensive back, and that's that's how I got to um, playing defensive back. <laughs> well, it certainly worked out for you. you. As you mentioned, you're also a standout in basketball. You average 22 points or 21 points a game. In high school, your senior season, were you getting looked at for from a basketball standpoint as well? No, I was just a I was just a competitor, man. You know, so I'm I'm going to be faster than you. I'm going to be stronger because I play football. I know how to get physical with the bigger guys and box them out and get rebounds and put up points. Um, you know, I'm going to get the defensive steals and get layups and and those type of things, man. So. I was just a competitor. I just loved playing. My younger brother loved basketball. That was his thing. He went to college for that. And so I wanted to play with him. So that was the other reason, right? Because I knew he wasn't coming to the football field. So I said, I said I'm going to come play basketball. And and um, so, you know, the, the points and what I averaged was really just the competitive nature in me. I really wasn't 
you know, that that hooper like that, right? I just knew how to score points, man. And I'm getting to the free throw line. I used to average, you know, 10, 10 free throws a game, right? Because they're going to foul me. I'm strong enough to take it and, and put it up. And so, you know, it, it was fun. And it was just, it, you know, we was really good too, man. I mean, boy, we was. It, it was fun playing with my best friend and my and my younger brother, because they was basketball people. And and um, man, that that was just, I, I loved every moment of playing basketball. You mentioned your younger brother with without a father in your yeah. life, your siblings. How important were they in your growth as as a not just an athlete but as a person as well? Well, I, I think we learned a lot together, right? Because my mom had to work hard, man. She she going to try to f- provide for four kids, and and our two older sisters um, were, you know, there to to kind of guide us when when mama wasn't at home. But uh, me and my brother, we had each other, and um, and and we learned a lot um, through life with with each other. So it's very important having a sibling in the house you can relate to, you can talk to. Um, you can tell your fears too, right? And and they got your back 100. And um, and so we we learned a lot um, through life um, together. He was he was a knucklehead, so I learned a lot of things, right? Me being the older brother, I'm like, boy, you can't do that. I had to grow up the fastest, right? So he made all the mistakes, and and I learned from him. And and um, saying, boy, we we can't we can't make those type of decisions, and so. Um, I was more the the big brother dad uh, role um, as as I was um, you know growing up with my brother. Yeah, well, certainly maybe set you on your path as a head coach and a dad now as well yourself. We'll talk about that that later on. But uh, again, such a great career, a lot in high school in Oklahoma. Then it's time to get recruited. Tell us about the recruitment process. Obviously, you go to Nebraska to play for Tom Osborne. Well, what was that process like? Yeah, it was easy for me. I, in the third grade, I decided I'm going to Nebraska. So I, I was watching them on TV. They they playing in a championship game in the Orange Bowl against Miami in, in 84 Orange, Orange Bowl, but 83 season. And, man, I said, I'm going to that school. As I, and, and I became a Nebraska fan, right, living in Oklahoma, fighting every, you know, Saturday after Thanksgiving. I, I guess I should say Friday after Thanksgiving is when we used to play them. And um, and so, man, I, I was just excited about them. And so when Coach Osborne called, I said, Coach, I'm there. I, I didn't take any visits. <laughs> I had one school on my mind, and that was it. And when they said they wanted me, I'm, I'm, I'm going. Um, so the recruiting process was very simple. Everybody who called, I told them I was up front. You know, social media wasn't there during that time, right? So I was up front and I'm going to Nebraska. And they like, well, son, can you please give us a chance to, to show you what we have? I said, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm going to Nebraska and um, that's just the end of it. So Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, staying in state was, was never an option for you in your mind. Oh, man, look, they had everybody in their mom come to me from elementary connection all the way up to high school connection, talking to me about staying in at home and going to Oklahoma. And, and uh, man, so it, it was never – never an option. <laughs> they said, you know what? We respect you because you you – to be that young and committed to something 
is things we haven't seen before. And so we, we respect that. Yeah, you were playing games. You knew where you wanted to go. And, and Tom Osborne was the guy. Why was he the guy? What, what did you see in him and eventually learn from him during your time there with the, uh, the Huskers? Well, first, off the TV screen. And everybody sees this because everybody feels the same way. It's a calmness, right? A regalness, a, a keen, a keen type feeling, right? And I and, and that's what I connect to. I, I don't connect to anything else. So when I see people who carry themselves that way, I'm gonna connect to it. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna gravitate to it. This is why Muhammad Ali was my favorite um boxer. Um, you know, this is why Magic Johnson was my favorite basketball and the Lakers. And the Dallas Cowboys, you know, early on in the 80s with Tom Landry, I'm connected to greatness and people who carry themselves with a, with a, uh, you know, humility. And that's what Coach Osborne did when I watched him um, coach his football team. And they played with a, with a toughness and a togetherness. Well, you don't have that unless the coach is that person, right? the teams reflect who the coach is and and um that's what he had and and when i met him did disappoint he was exactly what i've been watching for the last 10 years on tv right he was that guy and um you know you you just never wanted to disappoint him and um you you wanted to learn so when he spoke which he he speaks quiet He's not an energetic guy, as you see me. I'm kind of like more of a <laughs> defensive, energetic guy. He was just, he was just to the point. Hey, look, this is what's going to happen in this game, and he was never wrong. He would tell us what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, and just believe it. And you would see it play out over and over and over. And uh, and so you start believing you could walk on water at that time, right? And um, so that that's that's what Coach Osborne was. was just a true man a true leader. Um, he loved us. Uh, he loved all us different, but he loved us. And we knew that um, it wasn't, he was authentic. I think in leadership, you have, you have to be that. So he built trust right, right away with us. And then the, he held us accountable. All right. This is our standard. This is how the Huskers do it. Um, hold up to that standard, you know, and, and that just went a long ways with, with me. So every team meeting and he was talking Man, I was I was like, you know, you had some dudes talking and man, shut up, Co- coach is talking right now, yeah. right? So, um, you know, this is the type of stuff, man, that that I I never took for granted, knowing that I was in in the room with greatness. Yeah, you could tell just the way you talk about him and how much you revere him. I'm sure. He's had a great influence on you, not just your playing career, but your coaching career as well. Uh, and you, I see Muhammad Ali back there as well, as you said, an influence. You, you love some of the greatest, and he certainly was one of the greatest uh, of all time, as he let you know that as well. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> so you, you go to Nebraska, redshirt your first year. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have all this accolades, this great high school career, and then you're redshirted. What was that transition like for you to, to sit and watch and not be part of the action at the time? It was tough at first, right? At, at first, and then I'm like, man, I want to go back home, man. Like, this this is not it. I want to play. Um, but, again, talking with Coach Osborne let me know, um, you know, the process. It's a process, Mike. Um, go through the process. We're getting you somewhere. Uh, we got to get your body right. We got to get you stronger. 
Um, and, and once he set me down and told me the process, I was okay with it. I, I got over myself and um, began to embrace the process. So practice became game for me, every practice, because we practice hard. We, we in full pads. We going at it. I'm on scout team, but no receiver wanted to block me, wanted me over there. They like, man, get that, get him out. He he going too hard. And I was treating it like a game and I got better every practice. And I think that's the key. You take every workout as if it's the workout to get you to the national championship game. And I just always was that type of person. You give me a process, you give me the experts. I'm going to show up and do the work. Right. And that's what I did. I just showed up every day to do the work and, you know, putting days up on days, stacking them up. And um, and I knew spring ball was a chance for me to show everybody who I was as a football player. And I dominated that spring. And, and uh, from that point on, I was a starter. And you're part of a, a very unique unit as far as the, the black shirts are concerned, right? It's it's a, kind of a, you know a badge of honor to be a black shirt on that Nebraska defense. What did that mean to you? Well, I I I remember when I came to my cubby, and the black shirt was in there. I didn't expect right, like I wasn't expecting it. Um, and so I reach in and I grab it, and I'm the only freshman <laughs> get get this black shirt. You already know I'm on, you know, cloud nine, man. I, it, it was a surreal moment um, that I was a black shirt, and it meant so much to me because that meant that everybody accepted me and my play and who I was as a freshman, you know, red shirt freshman, but you know, as a young guy and, and, you know, I was able to get a black shirt. I was like, man, you know, nobody could tell me nothing at that point. I was, I was, I was up here. Right. And, and um, that, that moment, man, of, of being inducted into the club, you know, that was my goal. My, my number one goal was get that black shirt. And I got one um, as soon as I was eligible. Yeah, as you said, your redshirt freshman year, that was in 1993. 1994, yeah. you're in the starting lineup. You're, you're having a good season. You play a couple of games. Then you tear your ACL. Yeah. Was that your first major injury? And what was that moment like for you? And, and just dealing with that. And again, sitting and unfortunately watching everybody else. It was tough. Because it was the first time, Mike, in my life that um, I didn't have football. It was the first time in my life I couldn't do anything about it. And, um, and it, it really sent me on my journey, my spiritual um, journey to find out who was I beyond football or sports. And, um, and so, man, it was, it was a, a tough um, journey, but I know that I'm not the man that I am today without that. I, I know that. And, um, and so I always tell people stay in the process. Don't judge the process. Just stay in it because you don't know what's going to be on the other side. But if you stay in it, you'll find out. And I promise you it's going to be way better than when you started the process. And most people lose hope. They lose sight of that and, and give up, right? You give up in the middle of the process. Then you never 
find out what you were supposed to learn. And, and uh, so it was tough, man. It, it was tough watching everybody go through that championship season, win a national championship. And I, hey, I'm the greatest cheerleader on the sideline, though, but but it, it, it hurt. But I told him right after that game, after the celebration, I said, guys, let me tell you something. Don't come here when we go to winter conditioning. Do not come here acting like you, you know, you the morning and you good. No, sir. You better be ready to go because I'm going to be on your butt every day because you know why? I want to play in one of those games. So so you better believe that um, I was on them boys 24-7 about coming to work with that mindset. We haven't done anything, man. Uh, one championship, that's fine, but let's go dominate and go win two. Then we'll be, you know, in history. Everybody will know that team. And um, so that, that was my goal from, from that point on. Was it tough, though, to see that team win a national championship? And, they, and again, you be on the sidelines. You want to be a good teammate, obviously. You want, to, you want to cheer on your team and be happy for your team. But you want to be part of that as well, I would think. It was tough. You know, I've never not been part of the championship as a player, right? And, and um, so, you know, as a young man, but I think that was part of my growth. Part of my growth was um, be, be happy for other people. Um, and then also, um, you know, grow while, while you upset and you're not in there. And, and so that was the other piece of that, but man, it was, it was, it was probably the toughest thing, Mike, um, I ever had to do was be on that sideline as we kept piling up the wins and getting to that championship game and I could play against Miami. I'm like, man, I wish I was out there. I would have done this, this, you know, that type of thing, man. Um, but, yeah, it was tough, man. It was the toughest thing to sit on the sideline and not be part of that. Junior year, 1995, starting free or strong safety there, all big eight season, which tells you a little bit about the college landscape, <laughs> all big eight at the time, now the big 12. But uh, all right, so you go into that season. After seeing your team win the national championship, how focused were you to help them get back to, to that point and, and, you know, get your own championship as a player? It was the only thing on my mind. And and I didn't let them forget it. I mean, every single day I'm talking about it. The other piece to it is Tommy Frazier didn't get to play that season either. You know, he played in the championship game. He came in late um, to help us win that game, but he didn't really play that season either. So you have your 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 captain on offense, your captain on defense. Really didn't get that, and so we played off each other, man. We we um, we helped each other. Um, he, he knew he was going to bring the offense. I knew I was going to bring the defense um, um, with that. And and so, man, that, that was all on my mind, that we was going to push through um, to make sure that nobody came in complacent because we just won the, the, the championship. And you win in 1995, having gone through what you did in 1994. I mean, winning the national championship in itself is great but it had to be even bigger with that being the case. Uh, it, it was, it, it was, it was a huge moment um, for me personally. And then for the team, because we dominated everybody. It, it, it wasn't nobody on that field that there was a close game with. I remember we went down for the first time um, seven, nothing. It was Washington state and they had scored first. 
and we crying. We on the sideline crying as if the game – look, it's the first drive, and they score, and we over there crying, and we mad, and, man, this ain't going to happen. And, and um, of course, we went on to to, to um, win the game, but it, it was it was that type of we want to dominate you, man. We're not, we're not here to just to beat you or win the game. We want to be the most dominant defense, most dominant football team in the history of football. That's what we was chasing, you know? And I think that's what motivated us. We was we weren't even looking at the opponents. And I think that's what um, the opponent didn't realize. We de- we never saw you. <laughs> we 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 was looking at history, man. And and those are the type of dudes in the huddle. So when you have them type of people around you, uh, I mean, it's easy to to motivate them. And so, man, I was I was probably on cloud nine, man, when 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 that happened um and being a big part of you know that team that that um went back to back yeah so you win your championship your national championship there as i mentioned all big uh, eight at the time yeah. after your 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 redshirt junior season were there any thoughts of coming out early and, and and going to the nfl draft because you came back for your your senior season yeah no no it wasn't um because if, if i didn't get hurt my sophomore year I would have did it um, because I would have had two seasons of, you know, showing them at a national championship level uh, football team. And so um, I, I would have done it. But but I think, you know, the most high looked at it and said, you know, I, I want you to do another pass. So I need you to come back your senior year. And really the senior year was to show everybody that I was truly healed from my ACL. And um, and so that's what the senior year and I want to try to do it again. I mean, you know, let, let's go win three. OK. And so that was the that was the motivating factor um, is, you know, let's win three in a row. No, you know, that's never been done. So let's let's make that happen. And, and that was the motivation of coming back. Well, you didn't win a third national championship, but you had a great season. Um, all Big 12, first team, 51 tackles, five interceptions. And you made the switch last couple of games to linebacker as well. What 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 led to that change, and and did you like that change defensively? Yeah, well, Terrell Farley, which is why I don't have three right now. Okay, um, who was the best player on our defense? I mean, this guy was an unbelievable football player, and um, you know, if we'd have had him when we played Texas, win a national championship again, um, again against Florida State. And I'd have, then, you know, I'd have said, I'd have whooped all of them at that point, you know. So I'd have got Miami, I'd have got Florida, and Florida State all in three because, you know, them Florida schools was the teams. And and I could have been like, yes, you know. Uh, but, yeah, man, Terrell Farley got in trouble, um, you know, and got suspended. And so we needed a wheel linebacker. Well, we didn't have an option. And so, you know, I, I told coach, man, look, I go do that. You know, I mean, Will Linebacker is nothing but a glorified strong safety type thing in our defense anyway. Um, and they was like, man, you can't hold up in the run. I mean, your little old butt, how you go? You know, that's exactly what the linebacker coach was saying. And um, Craig Bowl actually was the linebacker coach who went on to win three national championships on the FCS level at North Dakota State. He was our linebacker coach. He didn't believe that I could do it, right? So, 
I said, man, just put me in and, and let, let, let me show you. And so I went through practice and I'm throwing people up in the hole. Boom. And he like, okay, all right, you, you can do this. Yes, coach. I, I'll make this happen until we get our man back. And, and, um, and so that's what made me go down to wheel linebacker. Um, no, I did not like it. <laughs> it was it was happening way too fast, right? I'm like, oh, you know, when we played Colorado, which is the first game I started in at linebacker, I'm killing them because they didn't know that I was going to be there, right? <laughs> and I'm eating them up. And then we played Texas, the the you know the next game um, in the Big Twelve Championship game. Well, they knew I was going to be there, and they game planned it. And man, they was eating my little butt up with them linemen getting up to the second level, trapping me. Bah, bah. I was like, "Oh, okay." So this is what it's really like to be linebacker. Cole, put me back there. <laughs> so in the bowl game, we got the Virginia Tech. I moved my butt back there. I was like, "No, cause I can't." When we play teams that know I'm down there, that's not good. <laughs> so I was going to say, did that help you with the draft coming up? You, you knew right away you weren't going to be a linebacker at the at the next level. Oh, yeah. I knew it right away. Like, if they drafted me and said I'm going to be linebacker, I'd have quit. And, uh, <laughs> so um, I, I don't know if it helped me or not. I, I think what it showed is I was tough enough to um, be able to be in the trenches. Um, and so – if you're tough enough to play linebacker in college, then you're definitely tough enough to play safety in the league. And so I think they was able to see my versatility and, and the, my ability to um, tackle and um, make plays um, in the run game. So I, I think that's really what elevated me as a, a draftable guy. So 1997 comes around. You're drafted by the Panthers, 56th overall in the second round. Panthers still kind of a relatively new uh, expansion franchise in the NFL, but what was your thoughts going from Nebraska to, to Charlotte? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me say this to all my Charlotte teens or North Carolinians, right? When I got off the plane and I'm headed over to the facilities, I see all these trees and I'm like amazed of all the trees that North Carolina have. I'm like, Oh my God, look at all these trees, man. Everybody like they just trees. I'm like, no, man, you don't understand. We don't have trees in Oklahoma and Nebraska. We got like two trees in the whole state. This is amazing. And so I remember going back and, and uh, talking to everybody about how amazing this place is and how many trees they got. That's all I was talking about for about, Two months, it wasn't trees. Um, and then, you know, the football team, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, this is how the story works, right? Like, I won championships at every level. I'm okay. Here we go. This is, they were one game away from the Super Bowl, getting beat by Green Bay in the NFC championship. I'm like, I'm with the Panthers. All right, yeah, Lord, I see it. And, um, you know, so I was excited, man. I, I didn't know nothing about Charlotte or North Carolina, um, but I knew they were one game away. And, I, and I'm like, I'm going to help y'all. We're we going to that Super Bowl, man. And uh, Kevin Green has a contract dispute. I think that was what derailed us that first year that I was with the Panthers, man. Uh, because if he would have been there and we didn't have that problem, I think he, he would have helped us 
um, get back to where we was at. Yeah, a Hall of Fame uh, linebacker, uh, unfortunately passed away a, a couple of years ago, Kevin Green. Um, Dom Capers, first head coach of the, the franchise, a defensive-minded coach as well, right? So was that something that helped you in your transition to the NFL? You know, Capers was so meticulous. He was um, um, really, really good with details. <clears throat> he understood defense. I've never played in a 3-4, so that was something new. Um, the strong safety, which is what I came in the league playing, um, was very complicated. I mean, you you had to know a lot about what was going on. Um, and then um, I moved to free safety to start because we had Chad Cota at, at strong safety, and he was really doing good. I was backing him up at first, <clears throat> and then our free safety was struggling, and they moved me to free safety. You know, my speed – I think had a lot to do with it. My ability to gain ground all over the field um, had a lot to do with it. And um, and I knew the defense. I, I, I knew my assignments. So I was able to play both sides, right, strong and the free. And um, and so, yeah, man, Dom Capel was a great teacher of, of the game. And, um, and so, you know, when people talk about fire zones, they talk about the – I said, man, I – I was taught by the man who invented the stuff, man, who took it to another level with Chuck Noll, right? Like I get it, um, and um, and 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 um, with Bill Cowher, I said, man, this, that's the guy who taught me. So, you know, you guys can't tell me anything about you know fire zones, man. <laughs> I was with the originator, um, but he he was he was a great teacher, man, and and really showed me how to be a professional um, that, and, and, you know, we had Sam Mills, you know, on that team. And, and when KG came back, you know, I was able to be around those type of dudes, man, where I, I was able to learn. Eric Davis uh, was our corner, another professional who, who played with the 49ers, won Super Bowls. And so, man, I'm getting all this knowledge and all this wisdom from these guys, man. And I was sucking it up. Man, uh, I was around him like you know how the little little guy goes under the tree with all the old heads and and hear all the stories, right? <laughs> I, hey, I was right there learning about everything about this game, and uh, man, they was gracious enough to let the little rook, uh, you know, spend some time with him. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned some great names there. We're gonna get to Sam Mills in a second here, but you know, six game into your rookie season, you become a starter. You never left unless it was an injury and that happened again for you what in 1998 yeah. you missed time with a knee injury a staph infection again having gone through that injury that you did in nebraska did that help this time around mentally to to deal with that and the absence from the field yeah because you know i knew i can get over it whatever it is and so um what the first injury taught me is that anything in life again if you stay in the process you'll be fine so that's what i did um even though that, um, you know, the doctors told me don't come back and play that season. I remember sitting on the field, we playing the New York Jets, and I wasn't playing. This is in the time that I was out. And um, and so Jerry Richardson came up to me and was like, your little butt ain't playing today? I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm out, um, sir. And he, and he was like, well, your little butt better get back on the field. 
and hopefully you understand what I mean, right? And um, I'm looking at him, I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> I'm back the last four games. I come back. And the doctors told me, man, you crazy. You you can't play on that knee. I said, watch me. <laughs> and for them last four games, man, I was back out there. And what he was telling me is, I'm about to fire this coach, and your butt better get back out there and show this new coach, because you're going to have to, that you can play. And, and you know, I didn't know that's what he was telling me at the time. I just knew he told me I better get back out there. And I took his advice, and I got back out there. And the new coach come in, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't miss – I don't skip a beat with him because of the last four games and how I played in the last four games. Hey, it went from Dom Capers to, to George Seifert, who was there from 99 to, to 2001, and then John Fox comes in. So, you know, you go – probably from high school to college, no coaching changes. And now, you know, three coaches within your tenure. What, what is that like? Oh my goodness. First of all, you know, we skip over the, that little point with, with C for that. Right. So that one in 15, man, I haven't lost 15 games combined all the way from little league to, to um, freaking college. And I do it in one season. And, and so that was tough. And, um, you know, I remember when Seifert came in and we thinking, all right, man, he's Super Bowl champ. Man, we got a guy. Um, he's going to teach us how to do it. And um, the thing that you learn with new coaches coming in, you got to perform. It's you, 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 own, you, you know, you're not their guy. So you got to become their guy and you got to make them love you. So, you can be part of that. That's what I learned um, from the first transition. So when Fox came in, I already know this. So it's not a it's not a big shock for another guy coming in. I just wanted to win. And whoever was going to be that guy to help us do that, Mike, that's what I, – I didn't care if we changed coaches 15 times to get the right guy. Um, I just want to win. And when Fox came in that first day – I said, we got our guy, man. He is it. Because I was able to see what got Dom, right? Dom was too much into the weeds of the details. And, you know, he had an older team. So the older team could, you know, they didn't need all that. You know what I mean? So they could overlook his detail-driven <laughs> purpose, right? <laughs> and um, But KG wasn't there, so it kind of broke up the – the, you know, the continuity of the team. And, and then when he did come back, it's still blood. You know, man, I still feel a certain type of way. So then he, that's when he choked Coach Steele. Or he, you, you see all this stuff happening, and you see the dysfunction because of he didn't feel like they loved him the right way during a contract dispute. So then you get to George Seifert. Seifert is a guy that uh, it was already built for him, so he didn't have to build it. He just figured we just knew, okay? It was like, no, you got to teach us how to be that, you know? And um, and when Fox came in, you knew he was going to teach us. He said, man, I want smart and tough guys. That's it. And I promise you, this is going to be the hardest training camp that you've ever known to man. And if you're willing to go through it and you stick here, I will make you a champion. And I'm like, man, I hey, 
Sign me, coach, sign me up right now. We I don't care if we practice four hours every practice as long as we're gonna get to that championship. And um man, you know, two years later we NFC champs, you know, NFC West champs, and um on our way to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. So man, he he held to his word. Yeah, take us through that 2003 season. As you said, you won the NFC championship. And, and Sam Mills was a big part of this, right? He had transitioned from a coach or from a player to a coach at this time, correct? Yes. Um, what kind of influence did he have on that that defense, you know, that year in particular and, and maybe for you and your entire career? Yeah, well, Sam, first of all, me and Sam used to um, talk about who was the tallest every day. Like, like you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to have the joke one – Every day we saw each other, we measured. I'm taller than you, you know, from my rookie year all the way um, to when he retired from coaching. And um, man, that was our joke every time. And so he he taught me a lot. He again, he taught me how to be what a professional is at this business and how to um, overcome any physical disadvantages. Um, and if you get to the ball with bad intentions, people going to respect that. Um, he taught me how to look at the game, how to watch film, um, and how to relate to your teammates. I think that's a, another piece that a lot of guys don't get taught. And and he and he was able to teach me all these things, man. And he took me under his wing. I'm a rookie, right? I mean, he was giving me all this wisdom every single day. And because um, he knew I, I was a guy that loved information. And, and I think people attract who they are. Right. And, um, and and I was a guy that was always around him. So when he decided when he retired and then he went into the front office and tried to be a scout. <clears throat> and we would talk all the time about that. He was like, Mike, I just don't really think that this is for me. And, and um, I, I really don't have an impact. I, I don't see them help, you know, let me become a GM. And so, man, I, you know, I, I think I want to coach. And it was like a glove, perfect glove on the hand, man. It was the perfect fit because he knew players. He knew how to re- relate to them. He knew how to give the information that these coaches was talking about. Um, so if it was Jack Del Rio or if it was – Turgovat, he he was able to take this information and then make it simple for us players to connect to, and we all trusted him. You know, I mean, trust is a big big piece to it, and and we all respected um, what Sam had to say. So um, because we knew he put that work in as a player and a coach, and and he knew what he was talking about. Man, he made things so much simpler for us. Man, it was it's just crazy the impact that he had on our football team from a coaching standpoint. And it was every position. It wasn't just the linebackers. It was the D-line. It was the secondary. It, it was everybody, man. It was special teams. It was offense. Um, he was connected to the whole piece. And and then, you know, once we found out that he was diagnosed with cancer, now, you know, it became we we fighting. We fighting that with him. and And I think it made us tougher as a group because – you know, we wasn't no longer looking at just our opponent. We were looking at, um, you know, cancer and defeating that and, and for Sam and 
And man, that that stuff really is real. You know, I, I think we make movies of it, and then some people believe that this inspirational stuff is not really real, but it is. And you know, I, I remember the speech of the key, key pounding speech that he gave to us uh, right before the playoff game. And man, I'm I'm like, boy, we we about to tear something up. <laughs> let, let let's go get it right. Um, and, and so that was what Sam was to us. And that's why he's so admired because he was true. He was real. Um, wasn't perfect and nobody perfect, but he was true to who he was and he helped every man become better. And that's your job, right? As a coach is to unlock the greatness in other people. And that's what Sam was to us. And, and, uh, man, he inspired us to, freaking go all the way to the Super Bowl, man, and be the cardiac cats. <laughs> and he's going all the way to Canton. He'll be inducted into the uh, Hall of Fame this summer. Will you be able to be there to to be a part of that? Uh, unfortunately, it happens posthumously for him. Well, I, I will not be able to be there, but um, I'm going to be there, right? Um, I mean, that that was my guy, man. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure his son – you know, I, I, I mean, I saw his son, Sam Mills Jr., uh, grow up, right? Uh, right right before our eyes, because we were the same age growing up. I'm a player, and he he's trying to be, you know, just around, right? And he, he went from weight room, he was video, to assistant D-line coach, and now he's a guy in the league that 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 um, got a name, and, and um, man, so I, I remember it all, man. And and so it was a sad moment, but it's going to be a great moment because it's well-deserved. He should have been there a long time ago because I've never met anybody who hit like him, who played play like him. And this is last season. So I can imagine what the man was doing in his rookie early years. I mean, he hit – I remember he hit somebody so hard that I thought the man was dead. Right. And I've never said that about anybody because I'm the one normally hitting people like that. And when he did it, I was like, oh, my Sam, what, 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 quit that. <laughs> Don't hit that man at all. <laughs> so, yeah, man, it's going to be a great honor to uh, I'm definitely going to be watching it. Yeah. And I've never watched a Hall of Fame um, ceremony, um, but that one is one I'll be watching. Yeah, John Bunning was a previous guest of ours. He coached him when Sam was with the Baltimore Stars in the USFL. And, and again, just had nothing but great things to, to say about him. So Sam's, you know, again, one of your coaches that Super Bowl year, unfortunately, you lose to the Patriots. For you, you had a great game, and you played the second half on a, a broken foot. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that like? First drive of the third quarter, right? So they driving and, and – and um, tightening and catch the ball down the middle. I'm coming from the other side and boom, you know, my foot ste- steps in the um, turf wrong. It was a slippery turf. As, as you can see, John, uh, um, John Casey slipping when that last kick that he kicked the ball off and it went out of bounds. Um, it, the, the grass and the footing was really, really tough. And so, um, man, I, I remember coming to the sideline after that drive and I said, Guys, I broke my foot. They were like, man, you didn't break your foot. I said, yeah, I did. And so they were about to take my shoe. I said, no, don't take it off. Just tie it tighter and then tape it up <clears throat> over the over my 
cleat and 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 I'm gonna play this game. And um, man, all I all I know is I know how to zone in. Um, and only thing matters is that moment of that play. And then after the play is when you start to feel what your body feel like. And the, the pain was excruciating after every single play. But during the play, I didn't feel it. Um, and um, and so it was it was a crazy moment of being able to go within to do the thing that you need to do, right? And um, and then try to finish that game to help us win. And and but all I saw was it's the Super Bowl, man. You, you can't go out of the Super. I don't care what's unless your leg fell off, you're going to be in this Super Bowl. You're going to play. And um, so that, that's what I did. Yeah, career high 18 tackles in that game as well. Again, with that broken foot early in the second half, 10 year career. You eventually decide to hang it up in in 2007. <laughs> Uh, was that a difficult decision for you? Well, no. Um, I woke up. We was in training camp, right, 2007. It's going to be my last season. I'm going going through, and I just woke up, man, and I knew it was time. And and I remember going to practice that day knowing it was my last practice. That was emotional because nobody else knew. I didn't tell anybody at that point. So after practice is when I was able to – um, go tell, talk to Marty Herney, who was our GM at the time, and um, Coach Fox. And I told him, I said, now, if Mr. Richardson is okay with this, I'm going to hang it up, man. And uh, me and Marty been together since the beginning. And so, um, you know, we was crying. It was teary-eyed um, with, with Marty. And, and then the next day is when we was doing the fan appreciation um practice that we normally used to do with coach Fox. And, and, um, and so I met with Mr. Richardson after that and, and told him what I wanted to do. And he's, you know, we, again, we crying and, and, uh, you know, he, he was, he was my father, wise father, you know what I mean? Like that, that Godfather type dude <laughs> that he, he just showed me a lot of love and, and, um, a lot of wisdom and, and, and open up a lot of things to me that I know everybody didn't get. And so, you know, when, when, you know, I said I was leaving, it's like his son was leaving, you know, the, the, the team. And, and, um, and so it was tough. It, it really was. That was what was tough. Um, you know, deciding that I was done was not, I just woke up and knew it was time. And, and, um, and so I, I walked away at that moment. Well, you left your mark. If I can read some of your stats, 790 tackles, nine and a half sacks, 15 forced fumbles, eight fumble recoveries, 15 interceptions, four touchdowns, and your return guy as well, 421 return yards as well. Are, is there a stat or a number that, that sticks out in your mind of what you were able to do in your 10 years with the Panthers? Um, you know, the I, I think the, the biggest thing is, is that, um, you know, I was able to play 10 years because that, and I was able to do that with one team. Yeah, that was my goal. My goal was, and I told Eric Davis this when I was a rookie, he was like, Man, quit it. And nobody plays with one team for the whole career. And when I retired, he called me, he was the first dude who called me. He was like, Look, 
young fella, you told me you was gonna do it and you did it. I'm proud of you, right? So that was the that was my goal. All the other stuff wasn't wasn't even uh, you know anything. It was it was the fact that you know from the time that I got hurt my second year when I came back, I started every game. I I, I didn't miss a game from that point on, and so to be able to go you know eight years of of um, consecutive starts was was something big too because you know that's not that's not easy to do. Yeah, 10 years in the NFL is incredible and again the the career that you had a fan vote you were on that 2019 uh, silver season team and it's again it's a fan vote that that puts you on there. What did that mean to you to have that be the case? Well, it's it, it means everything, right? Because who matters other than your people, right? Nobody else matter outside of your people. So I don't I, I never cared about anybody else i wanted where I, wherever i was playing i wanted them to say he's one of the best um and that was my goal and so it meant everything to be you know part of the of the uh, panther all-time great football teams and um you know same thing with nebraska is it's you know to be voted on theirs and 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 so that's what matters to me that's what makes me know that I did what I was supposed to do as a football player is when your fans look at you and say, oh, no, you was one of the great ones, you know, and they remember you today, right? So I go through the airport and I'm, I'm like, yeah, oh, my God, you know, that that that's where it's at, man. Outside of us, man, I can care less what they think. So it, it was it's great to be able to be honored um, in that in that sense. Yeah, you mentioned Nebraska, 2006 in their Football Hall of Fame there. And then the transition to coaching. So now you're trying to be known as, hey, Mike Minter, the, the coach, right? So, you know, what, what led to, to that transition? Again, was it an easy one for you to go from, you know, NFL player to a coach because you started small at some high schools and then, you know, worked your way up at these different colleges and universities? Well, it, it really wasn't a calling at first, right? It was just – my sons was going through these stages. And so um, I coached them in Little League. Okay, so so I took them through all the way to Little League and then um, up to – and then they were getting ready to go to high school. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to become a high school head coach so I can coach them. And so this is why I was coaching. It was because of my two boys. And, um, and so they were able to play for me. Um, and then I fell in love with coaching. And at that point – um, after going to three state championships, I'm like, okay, I want to challenge myself in this business. Let me go take on college. Um, and and I remember saying to myself, I want the worst team in college football. Now I'm just talking, right? And then when I get the call about Campbell, they happen to be dead last in Division One football, FCS level, dead last. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I I, I got my whoosh, and uh, and so we started the journey, man. Right. So the the transition was was easy because it's just who I am. I was the captains on all my teams. Okay, from little league to high school to college to pro, because I was able to build relationships and relate to my teammates to get them to go harder or be able to give more and connect to the message that the head coach was talking about. 
Man, that's what leadership is all about, right? The mission is this. The standard is this. How can you get people to want to do that? And um, and so the, the transition to coaching was easy in that sense. Um, the X's and O's was easy because I, I understood the game, okay? Um, the, the hard part, I think, that, that I've learned is, is um, other coaches. <laughs> I think that's, that's been a hard thing is, is me understanding other coaches and um, trying to reach them um, and knowing how you got to reach them. Coach your coaches. I didn't think you had to coach the coaches. I thought, man, shoot, they like me. They're going to do the research. They're going to be ready to go and, and that's just not the case, man. You, you got to spend a lot of time coaching them. And I think that's where coaches fail is, um, you, you know, you don't get a chance to learn that until it's too late. And you're like, oh, man, I should be coaching my coaches, right? And um, and, and so I, I've learned that over the, the nine years. So if it's one thing that I've learned as being a college coach is that how important your assistant coaches are but how important it is for you to teach them and coach them and, and move them and groom them to how you see things, not how they see things, not how anybody else see things, not where they've been before. And that's tough because some of this stuff has been successful for them, right? And so they're like, why well, I got to do it that way, coach? I mean, hell, this, this works. But in order for you to win a championship, everybody got to be on the same page. Well, guess what, Mike? I didn't have that problem going through, I was always connected to the head coach. So I always thought when, well, when I was a coach until this year, I thought, okay, the only important people is the head coach and the players. <laughs> so I'm going to go get the players. I'm going to train them and we're going to be ready to go. And that's so far from the truth. I didn't realize how many great assistant coaches was on our staff and on our teams that was coaching us because my relationship was always with the head coach and not necessarily with the assistant coach. So I didn't see the importance of it. And I learned that a hard way. Nine years of beating my head against the, the wall, right? I finally get it. And I get it when we play in James Madison. We play in them. This is the first time I see excellent at FCS level, right? Like championship football at FCS level. And I'm looking and I'm saying, Oh my God, man, these coaches is like they're assisting coaches like on another level. I said, Oh, I gotta go get dudes like that. And when I left that field, is when I knew, okay, this is what I gotta do. I gotta coach them. I gotta go get guys that's open and willing. I gotta go get guys that think like me and and want to be like me. And I gotta go get them. And that's what I did, Mike. And that's what we have. And so this semester. I'm going to give you an example of how great these dudes are. First semester in the fall, we're 2.5. This semester, same dudes, different coaches, we're 2.8. You see? So I'm like, they get it. Then that's how I look at it, man. If you can get them to do homework and, and that stuff, Man, I know you can get them to go play football, right? <laughs> and so, man, it, uh, so Mike, yeah, that's that's the transition of learning, man. Is is how important um, your assistant coaches are as a head coach, and that can't be easy in football because mm. there's so many of them. You know, yeah. basketball, baseball, some of those other sports. There's maybe three assistant coaches. It's easier to kind of 
get those guys that that think like you, but to get an entire staff for football, that, that's got to be tough. Oh, it's it's real tough. It's a science and an art at the same time, right? And um, and so I, you know, I done boiled it down to two things: they got to be open, and they got to be teachable. And if they that, we can work together to get to where we need to get to. I can care less about your X's and O's. None of that stuff matter if if you not open and willing and teachable. Um, then it really doesn't matter because it's going to be some tough times, man, that we go through that you haven't seen or you don't know because you haven't been there. You know, it's kind of like telling somebody about the promised land when you didn't go. So when Caleb and Joshua came back and they like, no, this is what we, we good. Right. And then everybody else like, Oh man, them giants. Oh, I don't know. And, and, and so the people don't know today. So like, man, what are y'all talking about? You know, and, and that's how it is when, when you've been places as a head coach and, and then sometimes you tell the other coaches, like, no, this is how it is. No, man, I don't think so. You know, it's, it's this and that. Okay, well, you're not listening, right? You're not open and teachable to this moment that, that I can give you that'll help you get better. And um, so, Mike, that's been – that that's probably been the funnest thing that I've had to learn. It is that, and I had to grow. How do you connect to to men, right? Like that's different than connecting to kids and, yeah. and getting them to see seventeen, eighteen, nine. That's a different deal because I, I got kids, so I know how to deal with you, right? I don't have no men around me that I have to deal with, right? Like you said, I didn't grow up with a dad, so I didn't. I don't know what a grown man deal is right every grown man i had to deal with was a head coach over me so i'm learning from them and i'm growing with them and and i'm trying to get to their level and and, and that type thing but when now i'm dealing with grown men that that was me trying to get i'm i'm i had to learn how to do that mike i mean i had to do a lot of re, um you know soul searching to to develop that in the in the last you know six months well, you're about to embark on your 10th year at Campbell, and you also have other things going on. Tell me about the uh, Mentor Enterprises. You're the CEO there, and you also have some some mentor camps as well. So you're, yeah. as you said, top of the, the the interview here, you're a very busy man right now. Well, uh, with with Mentor Enterprises, what I've, what I've um, done was dissolve that over the years um, to really focus on just coaching, right? And um, so I was able to, dissolve a lot of that. It was real estate. It was construction. It was a consulting firm. And so it was a lot of things that I had to, um, you know, disengage and, and um, you know, sell off and close and all that type of stuff. So it wasn't easy. <laughs> that was more work than starting all of it uh, was was getting out of it. And, um, and so, you know, now I'm 100% full-time coach, okay? And, and, and so I don't even do the camps anymore. Um, the camps are, are, are more geared towards, of course, high school kids so we can see them in recruiting um, is, is where it's at. But so now everything is pointing towards coaching and me becoming a better coach. And, um, you know, I tell people this all the time, Mike, it takes 10 years to master anything. It really does. And, you know, while all these coaches was coaching, I was playing. I'm behind. Yeah. 
right? I got to catch up. So a lot of, you know, a lot of people think, hey, man, you can just get done, just come in. If you, you've been at this level, you should be successful right away, right? And when you're building a program from, from where I built it with no scholarships and, and then now, you know, getting into a scholarship and then figuring out how to go get people with your scholarship money and build a roster and all that with money. So it's a different animal. So I done had two jobs at the same job. So it's really not nine years. It's, it was five with nine scholarship. And then now four with building a scholarship program and trying to get that to a playoff scholarship program. And, um, and you know, in your fourth season, you number one recruiting class in the country. So you say, okay, we, we starting to move it in the, in the right direction as far as that is concerned. But listen, Mike, nobody cares. Everybody care about winning. And I only care about winning. So um, that is the number one thing on our list is, man, we got to win. Well, it sounds like uh, you're on your way with your mentality and certainly with your leadership as well. As people want to follow you as uh, with the Camels this year coming up, are you on social media? How can they connect with you? Well, um, you know what? I, I'm on social media, but but I don't know what it is, right? <laughs> Coach Mentor. Hey, at Coach Mentor, I'm sure you'll find me if you do that, right? Um, on all these Instagrams and, and all these different Twitters and, 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 and all that um, stuff, man. So um, what, what I will say, though, is, is no other camel as a mascot in the country. So everybody should remember that. If you just remember camels, then you will now follow me. <laughs> no matter what it is, that's what's going on. And, and um, so watch it, man. We play Dion then on the 22nd of October now. Everybody need to be paying attention to that game because it's the first time, you know, two NFL, all pro DBs get to go against each other. And, um, you know, as, as head coaches in college, man, I don't think that's ever been done. And, and, and both of us African-American um, guys. And so, man, it's going to be fun to, to you know, to get together. I remember us on the phone trying to make it happen with each other. And, and um, he was like, all right, man, man, don't be coming down here, you know, trying to embarrass me. I said, Dion, not quit it, man. I know what you got, son. Don't, don't try that. Don't try that. Are oh, we this poor HBCU team? <laughs> no, buddy. I know what you have, and I respect what you got. And, um, man, we just trying to come down there to get some exposure, buddy. Yeah, typically head coaches are very cordial leading up to those games. Might there be some trash talking between you two? Uh, well, you know what? I, I don't know, man. I, I think it's really depending on how both of both teams are doing at that yeah. moment, right? And then, um, you know, uh, how how much fun can we have um, joking one another, um, you know, during that time? And now, if we would have played against each other, I think we would have been able to do that a little bit more, right? He was older than me, and so I was coming in as he was going out. We, we both played defense. You know, at the time I was in there, you know, he didn't really play offense. Um, you know, at that time he had started to transition strictly to a safety. He wasn't even playing corner at that time, right? So, um, so, but I'm sure we're gonna say a little bit of something. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we're looking forward to that. And I was looking forward to this as a former voice of the Camels. Unfortunately, I was there before football started, but it's always great to reconnect with folks in Bowie's Creek. And uh, again, it sounds like you're doing a great job there and, and wish you the Camels uh, nothing but the best of luck here as you're about to embark on your, your 10th season there with the Finding Camels. Thanks, Mike, man. It's been a blast. Thank you, sir. Well, my thanks to Mike Minter for joining us. Great stories there. Great passion that he has. How can you not want to play for that guy? We certainly appreciate those stories he told about Sam Mills as well, being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this summer. Our thanks to Stan Cole and Jason Williams with Campbell University's Media Relations Department for helping arrange that interview. And our thanks to you for listening and watching here today. Episode 30 comes your way next week. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on that one. Thanks for joining us in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. We'll see you next week. Have a great day.